what I learned is that people in the Muslim world are a lot more open than the average Christian thinks. They're very willing to have conversations with people. They're very willing to talk about things. And that it's possible to disagree sharply and still be friends with somebody. You don't have to act like we agree about everything to be friends with somebody. And you don't have to be enemies with somebody just because you have a difference of opinion on who God is. You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. Hi, I'm Dr. Alphonse Javed. Over the past year, we have talked about the importance of Muslim ministry and why you and your church should be reaching out to Muslims. One of the best times to start reaching out to Muslims is during the month of Ramadan, when many Muslims fast during daylight and break the fast over dinner to gather in the evening, which is called the iftar party. I challenge you to invite Muslims over to your house for an iftar dinner or to host one at your church. This year, Ramadan begins March 22nd and ends April 20th. You may feel like you don't know where to start. That's why in January, we are sharing our most actionable episodes about how you can reach out to Muslims in your community this Ramadan with plenty of time to prepare. Remember, perfect love casts out fear. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have with us James Raymond, uh, the founder of the Almeida Initiative, a Christian nonprofit that equips the church to understand and communicate better with Muslims on a range of uh, religious, political, and worldview issues. His goal is to create genuine friendships without shying away from the exclusivity of Jesus's message. James, please introduce yourself, brother, to us and tell us a little about your family. I always like to start with family because we are real human beings, if that's okay with you. Let's start there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So um, I'm originally from England. I moved to Seattle uh, 10 years ago and then uh, immediately met my wife, Kaylee, after that, Uh we were married pretty soon after that in 2012. Uh, our firstborn son was born a year later. Uh, his name is James, and he is eight. Uh, our secondborn is a girl named Aaliyah. And then uh, we adopted a girl named Chloe, who is uh, currently 22. We adopted her the day before her 18th birthday. And then, um, then fourth, we, uh, fourth, we have Caleb who is now three years old, and then Talia, who is now one. So you have four uh, biological children and one adopted? Correct, yes. Wow, man, that's awesome. Happy to meet a fellow brother who has a lot of children. People just shocked when they hear you have four children. My favorite um, experience of this uh, was we had a layover in Shanghai a couple of years ago. This is when we only had three. But basically, you know, five or six times, we were just stopped by random people in the street who just had to express their belief. They'd hold up their fingers and say, what, three children? <laughs> I know, right? Whereas uh, uh, when I'm from Pakistan, I have um, four other siblings, so we are five. So for me, 
fall was not a big deal at all. And uh, well, I, I just thank the Lord for families because I love families. We got to always pray for our children, raise them in a way that, uh, you know, glorifies God. All right, brother. So thank you so much for sharing about your family. And uh, tell me some more about your work. Uh, give us a, an overview of uh, Almaida Initiative. What was the catalyst for you founding it or how did it start? I'll give you a little, little history here uh, without going too long. I grew up in England and uh, 9-11 was almost as significant there as it was here. So I remember being 11 years old and seeing the planes hit the World Trade Center and just the kind of world changed at that point. But for, for me, that really put Islam on my radar. But I wasn't taking Christianity seriously at that point. So I just kind of put Islam in the category of geopolitical enemy. And then two years later, when I started taking my faith seriously, it moved from geopolitical enemy to sort of worldview theological enemy. Uh, but it wasn't really a really big part of my life. But when I was uh, 20, I made a Muslim friend. I had to do a project for college where I interviewed people about their views on the end of the world. And I uh, needed some guests. So I thought, oh, a Muslim would be interesting to interview. So I walked past the T-Mobile store, uh, saw a woman wearing a hijab and said, hey, uh, are you Muslim? Yes. Uh, can I interview you about your, the, your views on the end of the world? She said, sure, but I need to finish with this customer first. Okay, sorry. Uh, so I met her after work and we, we made friends. And then I decided to go read the Quran for myself. And uh, I just sort of put aside a few days in a coffee shop and, and read through it. Then when I moved to America, Islam just kind of like fell off my radar because I was at an, in an internship for a church. I met my wife. Uh, but then after I got a job out here in Seattle, that job afforded me a lot of time to listen to audio while I worked. So at first, I listened through the Book of Mormon on audio because I'd run into those guys a bunch. Um, and then I decided to listen to the uh, sort of the two major Sunni Hadith books, Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. And just became convicted partway through that it was a very academic exercise. I didn't know any Muslims in Seattle. So why was I taking all this information? So I decided to crash the Muslim Student Association at the University of Washington. I walked in really awkwardly partway through one of the meetings. Everybody saw me come in, but one guy uh, waved, offered me a seat, and then he invited me back. And then... Uh, we just kind of kept, um, I kept going back and, and ended up becoming the longest attending member of the Muslim Student Association at the University of Washington. And I didn't go to stir up any trouble, but I went to listen, learn, make friends, and then be able to have good one-on-one -on -one conversations with, with those friends. And it, it was great. Uh, and, but it all came to a head in 2014 when I was invited to an interfaith event on campus. And usually these things are painfully shallow, but by the grace of God, this one had a terrible turnout. Ends up being me and five Muslims in a room for an hour and a half. So instead of this sort of canned curriculum of how do we all be better Americans when I'm not American and most of them were not American, they just started asking me, well, how can you believe that Jesus is God and man at the same time? How can you believe that the Bible has been preserved after 2000 years. 
So after answering those questions, uh, one girl asked me, um, you know, said, well, I really want to go to church sometime, but my Christian friend never invites me. So I said, what? Well, my wife and I go come with us. In fact, you guys should all come make it like an interfaith field trip. I said, oh, yeah, sounds good. Wasn't really expecting anything to happen. But three days later, the official Muslim Student Association Facebook page invited all their people to come to my church. And we had 50 Muslims RSVP as being interested. Now, that's a college RSVP, which you know, doesn't mean that in real life. But we had 13 Muslims show up to church that Sunday. And we all went to lunch afterwards and had really, really good conversations. So from that, what I learned is that people in the Muslim world are a lot more open than the average Christian thinks. They're very willing to have conversations with people. They're very willing to talk about things. And that it's possible to disagree sharply and still be friends with somebody. You don't have to act like we agree about everything to be friends with somebody. And you don't have to be enemies with somebody just because you have a difference of opinion on who God is, right? That, that these are important things. We can't not talk about them, but we don't have to be enemies as we talk about them. So that prompted me to want to spend more time investing in the Muslim community. So I joined staff with crew for three years and I had a good experience, but I wanted, uh, I wanted more because Islam is the largest non-Christian worldview on the planet. And there's just not enough people thinking about Islam and Christianity. There's not enough people interacting with Muslims who are Christians. And I wanted to uh, be a part of changing that. So I started the Al-Maida initiative, right? And Al-Maida is an Arabic word that means a table full of food and conversation. And what we do is we try and facilitate uh, friendship and conversations between Christians and Muslims. And the way we do that is we kind of, we'll go into churches, we'll help them understand what Islam is as a worldview and who Muslims are as people, because as you know, those are two vastly different things. To oversimplify things, the, the right in this country wants to talk about the ideas of Islam while kind of ignoring the people, and the left in this country tends to want to talk about the people while ignoring the ideas. And as Christians, we can't do either of those things. We have to take people seriously because they're image bearers of God. And we have to take ideas, ideas seriously because truth matters. And the model of what we do comes from this one time that I was in, I was sort of giving the notices at my church and I saw this woman leaving who I didn't recognize. So I, I said, um, hey, I don't think we've met yet. And she says, what? I said, we don't know each other. She says, what? Uh, I said, we've never met before. She says, no, this is my first time here. I said, great. What brings you here? She says, I grew up Muslim, decided I didn't believe anything, believe that anymore, tried being nothing that felt empty. So now I'm here to try this. I said, great. Uh, where are you from? Saudi Arabia. Oh, great. Which city? She says, you wouldn't have heard of it. I'm like, try me. She says, okay, it's called Katif. And I know where that is. Uh, I have a friend from there, which means you're Shia, right? And she says, how the hell did you know that? okay, I have so many questions for you. When can we talk? So we got coffee that Friday. And the place she was at, she liked the sort of general vibe of church, but didn't really get how it all fit together. So she asked me, so as a Christian, do you believe the Bible and the Quran, or do you just believe the Bible? 
I said, I just believe the Bible. She says, okay, but if the Quran is not true, how did Jesus escape from the cross? I said, he didn't. We read through the last three chapters of Matthew together. And she says, oh, it does say he died and rose from the dead. What actual difference does that make to my life? I said, okay, so in the Islamic version of things, Allah loved Jesus so much that he rescued him from the cross, right? Yes. In the Bible's version of things, God loved you so much that he put Jesus on the cross. So if you trust in him, you can know with certainty that you're loved and forgiven. She says, that makes so much sense to me. I believe that. She started coming to church with us and she wanted to find a way to reach out to the wider community without having to say too much herself because it's, it's difficult when you're in that situation. So during Ramadan, we hosted an iftar dinner for Christians and Muslims to meet each other. And um, we ended up having 35 Muslims come, 35 Christians come and just had really, really good conversations. And we didn't have any real programming other than cards on the table, which says, um, when did your faith become important to you? Uh, what's the biggest question you have for a Christian or a Muslim? How would you like to continue this conversation over coffee? So we're trying to provide an environment where people can be themselves and are encouraged to talk about deeper things in a low pressure environment. So that's, that's really what Almeida is, right? It's trying to equip local churches everywhere to be able to be able to build these types of relationships with Muslims uh, that are genuine honest and able to articulate Christianity in a way that people actually uh, understand, but also give people the space to speak and be themselves. That's awesome. All right. So say a church wants to host an event, um, say a church wants to invite Muslims to that event, uh, simply to share food, as you just said, and get to know each other. Uh, what practical steps or what practical tips and pointers um, do you uh, suggest for the church to get started so um don't serve pork as your main dish firstly um so 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 pra pra uh, practical steps right so you want to make sure you're getting food that people can actually eat and um my advice would be don't figure out how many muslims you can actually get dinner with first right so you probably need to sort of build friendship with a couple of different people first. And then, and then from there, use that as a basis to, to build something out. So, um, so for us, the, the first event we did, it was basically all 35 of the Muslims were basically invited by one person with maybe, you know, two or three who were invited by me directly. Uh, but Muslims, there's very much a community mindset in Islam. And if you can, kind of get one person who's sort of pretty central to that uh, excited about the idea, then it's easy to do. All right. So yeah, look for those. Um, although if you do it in Ramadan and you advertise it, sometimes you get a lot of people looking for Ramadan events who find it online. So the second one of these we did, we end up having 50 Muslims and 27 of those just found it online because we put it on Facebook and Eventbrite. So you can put it online and spread it, uh, spread it around, around people, you know, uh, but if you, whatever you do, never trust the RSVP, uh, you're going to get probably um, a pretty about half the people who actually RSVP show up. So prepare for that, have that mindset and um, 
be, be ready to be flexible. That's uh, cool. So how should uh, church leadership address potential concern for church members about engaging with Muslims? So I, I think I think leading by example is 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 useful, right? But I, I think the clearer you can be about so so for for us for example, right? The only programming we have is at the beginning of the dinner. I stood up and I explained that we believe ultimately that salvation, the ability to change somebody's mind, is God's job, not our job. Our job is to speak the truth in love. So the Christians here don't believe that they have the power to change the mind of the Muslim opposite them. And the Muslims sitting here don't really believe that they have the power to change the mind of the Christian sitting opposite them, which means that you can speak the whole truth without compromising and go home as friends at the end of the night. Right? That's why our motto is conversation without compromise. So I think it's before you host something like this, it's important to like build an idea of, okay, understanding what Islam is, understanding who the Muslims around you are, having some understanding of that, but also um, having a vision for God's view of the world. So if you look at Psalm 72, we see that it talks about all the nations serving the Messiah and it includes Sheba, Seba, and Tarsus and desert tribes. And if you look at those countries, those are all, you know, that'd be like equivalent to like Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Turkey. Um, and all those are currently Muslim nations, right? So God has work to do in the Muslim world. We, we can expect to see Jesus' kingdom grow in the Muslim world. And people need to have the mindset of being part of that. Yeah. So I, I actually like this meta narrative that you are uh, communicating here uh, from the scriptures that uh, God was engaged is engaged and uh, he has a plan um, for that region, right? And uh, God did something, he is doing something and he will accomplish that. I love that idea. So uh, therefore, let me take you to the, the next question, which is uh, uh, Almaida has uh, a podcast where you had imams and pastors come on together to discuss things like the, the difference between the role of the pastor um, and the imam, uh, dietary restrictions and, uh, and more. Have you had a, a difficult time finding pastors or imams to come to come on, on the show? Um, honestly, not really. Uh, I think the hardest thing to do was to find the first podcast guest. That was so hard to do. But then after we found the first one and people understood the tone of what we're trying to do, it was honestly pretty easy to find people to engage in the conversation because anyone who watches one of our podcast episodes will see that you know, we, we are, I do have a Christian worldview and I state that very clearly, but I give my guests the liberty to be themselves and to say and to think they want. And, and the reason I can do that is because as a Christian, I believe that Jesus is the truth. And if he's the truth, then I don't have to be afraid of you know, things that are not the truth, right? All I want to do is let ideas battle in a free and fair arena 
believing that the truth of Jesus will always prevail in that free and fair arena. So the podcast has really helped me make friends with uh, local imams and, and leaders. It's not just I meet people on the podcast. I end up getting coffee with them and lunch with them and uh, you know, becoming friends with some of these guys. So generally, I, I find it pretty easy to get people involved. So in these podcasts, um, you know, episodes, uh, is there something that you learn that you want to share here with us? Y- yeah. So I think what I've learned um, through the podcast and interacting with Muslims in general, the main error that Protestant Christians have in engaging Islam is assuming it works like Protestant Christianity. And, and here's what I mean, right? Um, we think that people go and read the Quran for information. And when we want to talk about Islam, we go to the sources and we say, okay, what do the sources do? Or what do we, we can, we apply the historical grammatical approach, right? We, we take the things at face value and we try and, you know, learn from them. And that's how we try and understand Islam. Right. I'm not saying there's no value to that, but the average Muslim you're talking to, doesn't read the Quran in their own language, has never opened a book of Hadith. All of the information they have about Islam, their whole worldview is not informed by literature somewhere. It's informed by this sort of nebulous web of teachers and family members, right? And we need to, it's helpful for us as Christians to engage Islam for what it actually is, rather than what we think it's supposed to be. And as we start to engage what it actually is, start answering the questions people are actually answering. Uh, so it's not about the Bible versus the Quran. It's actually about the Bible versus this, uh, this general consensus of people, right? It's not about the word of one God versus the word of another God. It's about um, the Bible versus the words of men. And I think having that mindset has allowed me to have much, much better conversations with the Muslims in my life because I'm looking for the actual source of their information authority rather than just trying to deal with some sort of caricature. That's actually a cool idea. So there the are two, two things here. One is the application, right? So we need to talk about the application because uh, even the, the best practicing Muslim will tell you the ap- application. He doesn't see the application or she doesn't see the application of uh, what Quran says in the lives of Muslims. Um, same thing with Christians too. We struggle with the application too. Now that's the part for easy part, but the second part is a tough one because uh, there is a uh, centuries worth of uh, um, division that the, the divisiveness uh, has caused uh, um, unnecessary division um sorry ignorance caused unnecessary unnecessary division because uh, both parties think so the muslims think this is what christians believe because they've been taught in a certain way which is false that's not right because when you do get to talk then you find like oh no that's not what we believe that's not what christians believe same thing with muslims too most uh, Christians been uh, sheltered or kept in a bubble with a certain certain teaching. So they 
are trained to think, uh, uh, oh, this is what Muslim believe. But when you talk to Muslims that no, we don't believe that. So one of the main one is just the difference of God, right? So when a Muslim says, I believe in God, here I have seen these tracks that, and I gave this example in another episode where in New York, you see these tracks and it's called Allah, an idol God. And somebody asked me like, so, so what do you think about a Christian person asked me, what do you think about this as a tool to share Christ? I said, it's so bad because you're attacking their God. You fundamentally, uh, you know, the foundation of the faith is God and you are making that God out to be idol by a person who actually went after idol, a nation full of idols. He removed the idols. So give him the credit for that. And two, talk to a Muslim person, ask the Muslim person what they believe. They will tell you that they believe in the God of Abraham, uh, God of um, Isaac or Ishmael, and the God of uh, Jacob, the same God that the Bible says we believe because what the Bible says, and we say the same thing. So we, we got to start taking uh, people on their word as they what they say what they believe, not what 200 years ago or 400 years ago scholars uh, came up with. So I like uh, the way you're looking at the relationship aspect with the Muslims. So thank you so much. Um, uh, we are out of time, but I like to keep things light because we discuss heavy topics. And I hope uh, Christians who are listening to this, they uh, receive some something to work with. And Muslims who are listening to this also receive something uh, from this podcast and this discussion. So now, please tell me a joke. Okay. So I'm going to tell you a Muslim joke. So there's, there's two men, uh, uh, two British men, uh, Pete and Steve, who take a uh, jeep out to the desert in Egypt. Uh, and while they're in the desert, their jeep breaks down and it's during Ramadan. So they have to, take, they have to walk back from their jeep for three days back to uh, the settlement. Right. So after three days of walking, they're almost dead, parched for water, uh, hungry. And uh, Steve and Pete see a mosque rising out of the distance. And after figuring out that it's not a mirage, they, 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 yeah, they start walking towards the mosque. And Steve says to Pete, look, I, I'm, I'm worried here. We need, we need food and water. Uh, I'm just going to tell them my name is Muhammad. So they don't, so they treat me like a Muslim. And the other guy says, oh, no, don't be, don't be silly. Um, I'm, we'll just be, we'll, they'll, we'll just be ourselves. And so, but Steve insists. So they get to the mosque and the imam says, My, you poor men, how can we help? What is, what is your, what are your names? And uh, Pete says, my name is Pete. And Steve says, my name is Muhammad. And the imam says, Guys, go and get Pete some food and water. Uh, Muhammad, Ramadan Mubarak. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is good joke. That's awesome. That's very good, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show, James. And uh, thank you to you all who are listening. If you appreciate this podcast, please be sure to leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.